This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Invasion America, episodes five and six. I'd never known how to imagine him before. In my dreams, he was never a face, just a deep voice I couldn't quite understand or a strong arm around my shoulders. I tried to tell myself he was there to help me, to give me the strength and courage to survive. But if there's one thing I've learned over the past 48 hours, it's that things are never what they seem. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that's always outrunning highway patrols on our motorcycles. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Hey, would you risk your life for a cheeseburger? 100%. Yeah, (laughs) me too. I thought that when I saw David risk his life for a cheeseburger, I thought, this is the first time I can empathize with him. You're finally related to the lead character. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, well, Jordan, before we get into this uh, this week's Invasion America, I think you have a little segment for us. I spent a little time this week looking into some of the fan fiction that was around this show. And surprisingly, or not, perhaps, there's not a lot. But the people who seem to like this really, really like this show. And there, I did find a few people that had written rather extensive fan fictions. There's one person that has written, for all intents and purposes, a full book on this show. And I read part of it. I read the first couple chapters. <laughs> it's just such nonsense. It's just, it's all world building about, uh, what's the planet? Uh, Tyrus or whatever it's called. Tyru- yeah, Tyrus. So what I think is people who like this, like the world that that we're living in, more so than the actual story that we're getting in this show. It's just an interesting world that people like to play in. So I did find a few of those, but I wanted to do a reading for us today, but it's something a little different. It's for all intents and purposes a poem. Oh. So the poem is called Ushadi, and it's a, a poem written by <laughs> the uh, the author's name is Ushadi Elf. Great. So if you bear with me, I will read us the Ushadi poem. Which is not that long, but it's longer than you think a poem should be, maybe. Um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll just read it as the stanzas, and uh, feel free to jump in when you want to. Ushadi, they're after me, always hunting our Gallum, for I am David. Dragget is evil, Gallum are hunting me down, must find Ushadi. Ushadi, help me, heroes of the galaxy, save Tyrus for me. I'm American, also a Tyrusian, stuck in between. <laughs> my son, Prince, my lady, a queen. I am the king. A Carter Usha has been born to Tyrus to rule over. Manglers, the Gallum, the earth should never see horrors from Tyrus. Once a peace-loving cry of war has been screamed, civil war has come. Peace is not seen, the cry of hope is far, war will go on. Blood of the free has been spilled much. Who will die today? <laughs> I, I don't know if that's how they wanted it read, but anyways. Uh, life of war, neither pretty nor nice. Who is going to pay? Price of war, in either man or money, is always high. Taking our homes, we fight to defend, only to fail. Fight we must, or if not, then we fall. Where will we go? Go help us! The attack is coming. SOS, hear me! Cries of help, please fall on deaf ears. Who will listen? What side are we? What side are we going to? Who will win? Heaven or hell? Has God heard our pleas? Is the devil here? The blame goes to Tyrus or America. Who will take it? Hell burning fire, Tyrus, American, who will go? 
Heaven's Light, Tyrus, American, who will go? Young or old, soldier or lover, all will die. Whoa. It's very deep, deep, huh? Heavy, too. Yeah. (laughs) Too political. For a second, I thought it was written from David's perspective, but then I got confused. I'm like, is it written from David's dad's perspective? I think you're right. I think halfway through, they were like, meh, let's switch it up. Let's let's move on. Maybe a bunch of characters. It's a poem. You can do whatever you want. You know what? It definitely fit the form of a poem. Uh, Was I right? It's like a poem, but it's also maybe a little long. I mean, it's a little long. Also, uh, what's that part about uh, is Tyrusian to blame or is America to blame? Uh, How's America to blame? It doesn't even know this is happening. (laughs) Well, no, it's it's who's to blame and they go, who will take it? Who will take it? Who will take it? <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's something. But I chose that just because it was something different. Also, because all the other stuff I found was just so extensively long that we couldn't possibly read it here unless we did an installment every week. And it's already bad enough we have to talk about this show every week. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that, like, there's a lot of, not a lot of writing, but some extensive writing about it. I was trying to, like, dig into whether there was any, like, side material to the show when it came out you know was there an action figure line in the wings but what i did find is someone had basically commissioned you know that classic like book based on a tv show yeah yeah i saw this too so there were a series of books based on this like miniseries the author who wrote them i think there was two that i found one was called just invasion america one's called america on the run which is a prequel oh wow and it's this uh, author named christy golden She's sort of like one of these like guns for hire authors who writes anything. Like she's written Star Wars novels, Star Trek novels, Warcraft novels, Assassin's Creed novels. Like if you want to make a book on a property, she's the go-to. Like she's written hundreds of books. You and I have talked about this, but I think that's an amazing job to have. I think so too. I think it's a very particular type of talent. I think it's probably a super fun for her, right? It's just like you get to play in this world anything goes and you just she just knocks him out like here's a sandbox go to town exactly i bet you they were just like sold at school book fairs for (laughs) six months do you think they just had like a they had pressed a whole bunch of them thinking this was going to be a huge hit and then they're like "Uh uh-oh there's just a warehouse full of them somewhere i'm sure a a great portion of these ended up at a recycling plant somewhere yeah probably did you ever did you ever buy any uh school book fair uh cheapo knockoff tv show novels I don't know if I did. I remember them having like big poster drives, but I don't remember buying, you know, whatever, like knockoff Star Trek books or anything like that. I mean, they're not knockoff. They were official, but I definitely at some point. They were canon. Bought an X-Files novel that was like 60 pages long. (laughs) (laughs) How was it? Was it good? I don't even remember, but I'm sure I was like, oh, X-Files, how scary. (laughs) Uh, Here is the IMDb summary for episode five, Renewal. While trying to cross the desert on foot, David Carter meets Tyrusian Doc and his mangler, Blue. (laughs) Major Stark and Sergeant Romer continue searching for David. That's it. That's pretty much it. I mean, you got the main important part of this, which is Doc and Blue. Yeah. And I mean, this show pretty much picks off where the last one left off. The uh, we're in the Utah Badlands around that recently exploded alien base. A new alien has shown up to take over for General Leonard Nimoy, who very quickly will be just promoted to general and given Leonard Nimoy's job. What I like, though, is that if there's any doubt that Leonard Nimoy is dead, they have a scene where he's just in the body bag being uh, wheeled away. (laughs) 
it's very funny because they just replace him with essentially the same character with a different voice. That, that is funny. What was the point? Do you think it's just that they couldn't have Nimoy was like, I'll do a couple hours for you and all they could get was an episode or two? Because it doesn't make any sense why they killed the character and have another character do the exact same role. I mean, the fact that they've killed his mom and his like right hand man what's his name Rafe already I think they just wanted a body count because they felt like that was would raise the stakes oh I should mention though uh, one thing we didn't I don't think we've spoken about yet and I don't know if if you have seen this but apparently there's two versions of the show I had heard they had cut it down to be more kid friendly when they re when they revisited for Saturday morning TV but I couldn't tell what version we're watching because it's not like this is tremendously violent I mean there's a lot of action but it's not like you said there's a pretty high body count to be fair but it's not like there's a lot of on-screen violence I'm not sure either I had read somewhere that there might be like a swear in it somewhere that might be our clue but it is so I mean I'm leaning toward the fact this is maybe the primetime miniseries just because I, I think the violence is a little higher than you'd expect. But I could be wrong. We like it's so it's so hard to tell. It's so hard to tell where there would be more or less violence. But uh, on these two episodes are the first ones I've noticed where there was commercial breaks. Oh, really? Anyway, for what it's worth. For what it's worth. <laughs> Who knows? Was there a commercial for Law and Order in between, or was there a commercial for uh, He-Man action figures? No, no. There, it was it was just a fade out, fade back in. I meant like when it actually aired. Oh, when it actually aired. Oh, oh, I don't know. Was it was it prime time or was it Saturday morning? Right, right. Um, meanwhile, back on old planet Tyrus, there, uh, the Dag is dealing with the fact that his invasion has been set back six months. We've talked about this maybe ad nauseum, but I still don't know what their plan is. They just keep seem like they have this big end game, but why? This is, the dragon has a real fear of failure, so he has, like, plans upon plans upon plans set up, but he allows any of them that falls behind to, like, set him back another six months, another year. That's why this is dragged on for 50-plus years, I feel like. He just doesn't want to, like, pull the trigger, because if he does and he wins, then what? He's just, like, he's going to be a man adrift, so he's really dragging out as long as he can. (laughs) Well, he's already written everything down in the spreadsheet. He has it all organized, so he doesn't want to get behind. Oh, he wants to get behind. I think that's his desperate. He's desperate to get behind. Oh, okay. Well, maybe. Anyways, I mean, his newest plan, uh, we'll get into it. But I was kind of confused until about halfway through the episode. Well, this is the thing is they have a phase two plan they're going to execute, but it's going to take six months to get there. Yeah. In the meantime, they have set up a magnetic launcher on the dark side of the moon that's been there for decades. They've just never used it, but the dragon has it there. If he ever wants to try to execute this plan where he's just going to, like, fling meteorites at Earth? I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Luke, they want to sort of pull meteors out of whatever orbit they're in and sort of have them just sucked in Earth's gravity so they essentially become like cannonballs. Yeah, they're just going to huck huck cannonballs at America. But that, my understanding of what is talked about in the scene is that is not even part of Phase 2. This is just another thing he has sitting around. And in that, like medium time where he's setting up phase two they'll just do this other thing for funsies but what i got confused is is we're gonna come to a scene really quick where we see the remains of this base and it's a big cavernous sort of hole now because everything's exploded i thought what they were doing originally was making it look like as a way to cover to normal everyday citizens they wanted to cover this explosion by pretending it was meteors that did it no, not at all. No, I know. I know. And I realized that after. And I was like, because I thought, well, that's a kind of interesting idea. That's a way to cover it. Not that I really needed it. But I was like, oh, no, he has another plan that's not important at all to this plot. 
Yeah, it's very funny because they don't need to cover up an exploded military, abandoned military base because there are so many aliens at the upper echelons of the U.S. military that they can just say, I don't know, explosion, trust us. So there's no need to cover up an exploded alien base. And then, yeah, this whole meteor launching thing is like they're going to they're like they spend these first two episodes just shooting meteorites to calibrate targeting before they actually do any real damage to American infrastructure. Mm hmm. But it is all unrelated to even their invasion plan. Like, the Dragons got plans upon plans upon plans, but none of them ever, I think, ever, they're never going to, like, invade America, I don't think. I think he just wants to have plans. But I think more importantly, if you look at the arc of this show, clearly by the end, what it is supposed to be is this major invasion. But it feels like the writers don't want to invest too much into that, or at least they want to to keep the viewers watching they want to have these minor little skirmishes and minor little problems to solve but it just i think it does more to muddy the waters than to give this sense of impending doom it's that mix of serialized and episodic every episode there's a new plan to foil but what does that have to do with the larger plan i don't know (laughs) yeah exactly anyway david's in the desert david's in the desert our alien half-breed prince He's wandering around, or uh, as he calls the Desert Jordan, kitty litter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And I was like, uh, is that supposed to be funny? He's having hallucinations of everyone he's ever met, which is, what, four people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we've only introduced to that many people, so that's who we have to see. Uh, when he hallucinates about his father, his father morphs into a mangler, which is actually there. And we get to meet a Tyrusian deserter named Doc. Mm-hmm. I guess he bailed on the military base back when they the original coup happened on his father he's like i'm out and he's been living in a trailer in the desert and he i guess he made a pet out of one of the manglers a pet he calls blue and their relationship seems to be he gives it roast beef uh jordan rump roast rump roast excuse me excuse me anyways yeah he just they mention different types of meat over and over and over he keeps talking about how it's all in his deep freeze, but he lives in a trailer without electricity. I'm like, there's no deep freeze. <laughs> anyway, they they pick up David and, you know, he gets to spend the night in their trailer and they're going to take him into town the next day so he can, like, figure out what he wants to do next. And, like, it's so insane. His plan is he calls up his best friend back in Massachusetts, who, when, when his friend picks up the phone, he's just like, wow, you're alive. And what is David's plan? Because he calls... I don't even know what this guy's name is. Let's just call him Archie. He calls Archie. And uh, Archie's like, yeah, you're alive. And then David's like, yeah, I'm going to need your help. And the guy's like, sure, anything you need. And he's like, all right, talk to you later. I'm like, but w- what is happening? What's your plan? That's very funny because da- uh, David Fred even offers to like, my parents will buy you a plane ticket home. Yeah. But then David sees an FBI wanted poster of his face and he just hangs up on the guy. And I'm like, you, wh- why did you call him? <laughs> well, and I'm going to make another point. You see this a lot in, in, in TV where it's like, you know, you get like a wanted poster put up on the wall and David's like freaked out. He's like, oh, no, people are going to know my face. I'm like, how many people are going to see that poster? Very few, man. I wouldn't worry so much about it. Like the chance of someone seeing that and seeing you is very unlikely. Now, I realize that's exactly what's just going to happen in the next scene. But in the world we live in, I'm like, come on, big deal. I could have a wanted poster up. No one's going to find me. I like, though. You're right. He he is immediately recognized, but by the town sheriff, to be fair. So maybe this guy studies his wanted posters. And the sheriff's a jerk, huh? This sheriff, uh, he's got emotional anger problems. <laughs> when we see him, this is before he even knows David is in town. He gets out of his sheriff's car and pulls a baseball bat out of the back seat and just walks away. 
And we never see what he does with that baseball bat, but I was just like, why does this man need a baseball bat to wander around this town? He's just looking for people to smack around. Well, that's it. And when he does finally find David, who's hanging out with old uh, Rafe, or not Rafe, Doc. that's Rafe's dad, it's Doc, uh, sees him in town, he just pulls out his shotgun and just starts beating the two of them? Like, immediately. Like, they're not resisting arrest or anything. He's like, hey, are you that guy? And they're like, all right, calm down. And he just starts hitting them with his shotgun. And uh, at this point, old old Blue, the mangler, like, jacking the boxes out of the back <laughs> of Rafe's car and gets shot. They set it up, though, it's like the police is attacking them, and they're like, and then suddenly the mangler jumps out, and you're like, oh, he didn't know they have this, like, incredible, impressive backup, and then he just gets shot, and I'm like, bang, <laughs> you're like, oh, and then my thought is, I was like, was I supposed to feel bad for this monster? Because I didn't feel bad for it. I don't know, it, it all, and the way he shoots it, too, it looks like he doesn't hit it, but I guess it's like a shot. <laughs> no, because then they have a scene later, it's the back of the car bleeding to death. <laughs> Well, that's it. That it scares the sheriff enough they're able to climb into Doc's truck. We get a high-speed cop chase, and which is also resolved like in the most insane way because they're speeding down the roads of Utah, and David sticks his hand out of the car with his <laughs> with his like power glove on the the Exitar. He uses it to psychically throw tumbleweeds at the cop car, and those tumbleweeds make the car explode essentially i didn't know what what happened yeah i guess the tumble the tumbleweeds all like roll under the chasing cop car burst into flames and then literally do explode the police car it's funny because in some way it makes sense that uh david does the lamest things with the glove because it's new to him and he doesn't know the extent of its powers but in terms of watching a television show, they really set up this glove. This is going to be this amazing thing he has. And he's ju- he just does the lamest things with it. Earlier in the episode, he tries dropping a rock on the mangler and it doesn't work. It's just like the glove is, it just has so much potential and they're not using it at all. I will say I've never seen tumbleweeds used as a weapon in a show before. So I was just like, well, this is new. Yeah, that is new. Although, don't you feel like we've had this car chase before? Because we're going to get this is like a cop chasing and then we're gonna get another motorbike chase like we had in the first episode it feels like they're already redoing things you know five six episodes in i mean we get back to doc's trailer we kind of get a little bit of just the explanation for these meteorites here like doc saw that on the news that meteorites are hitting america and he explains about this like old plan the gravit had to hit america with rocks Mm -hmm. if he wanted to if he felt like it yeah but what he does say to david is it's like david you need to stop this but I can't help you. I'm not going to join you. I'm going to just stay here in my trailer. I'm just like, what's wrong? He's not a hero, he says. Yeah, he's, he's not a hero, I guess. It's just so weird, too. It just like felt so much just like, uh, sta- like in a, such a serialized show. It's like, here's a new character. But don't worry, he's staying here. But before he leaves, he's got something for David. But behind this, uh, as he pronounced it, pronounces it, hologram. <laughs> Is that how he pronounced it? <laughs> he's like, come here. I've got something hidden behind this hologram. So, I don't know, this is getting caught in the weeds, but he's living essentially off the grid in a trailer in the middle of the desert, but he also has the foresight, in case an attack happens, to have some sort of battle station under a hologram that has this magical bike. Yes, he's built a science fiction motorcycle out of spare parts, he says, in this, like, hidden base he has. I don't know. Not Apparently, every Tyrusian, when they abandon their people are able to build a massive underground bunker somehow. And also, if he built this bike, he has a real talent. Oh, yeah. Except for how it operates. Because 
he gives it to David. He's like, maybe this bike I built will help you. David gets on. He's like, how do you turn it on? He's just like, oh, you ask it nicely. To be fair, is this much different, uh, operate much different than the vehicles from Earth 2? I mean, I guess that you're right. They are voice activated. But I, I, was, I was put off by the fact that you have to, like, ask it politely and it can decide whether it wants to comply. <laughs> oh, see, it didn't bother me because I thought you could also sarcastically tell it to turn on. It probably still would. Probably. You're probably right. He was just trying to teach David a lesson about politeness. <laughs> anyway, but, but it's the same. It essentially operates under the same technology, this Tyrusian technology we see, which is orb-based. orb-based. They're an orb-based society. And since he's so good at video games, he can just operate any any orb-based weapon. <laughs> that's true. Um, and that's like where the episode ends. David's off for more adventures. I'm just going to make a quick side note here because there's like... To call it a subplot would be stretching it, but there's a few scenes along the way with that major Stark character who's like, at this point, I think the only human character involved in this show, mm-hmm. sort of vaguely X-filing his way to like the answers around what's happening. And the one scene I was obsessed with in this is he's back at the White House and they're ta- he's talking with his like, I guess her name's uh, Colonel Romar. He's talking with his right hand person about like what they should do next and whether they should let the FBI track down David. And as they're talking in this hallway, the president just wanders by and they stop and salute him. Yeah. And then his right-hand person turns to Major Stark and she's like, hey, you went to school with him, right? He's like, yep. (laughs) I was like, what was that about? (laughs) That was weird, wasn't it? I'm going to assume it's going to pay off later, but it was funny. It almost seemed like the scene was designed to give this sense of the president is still someone you should respect, even if this plan is happening underneath him. And also he has nothing to do with it. I liked that Major Stark just, it's just like this weird thing. It's just like, hey, wasn't the boss your uh, old high school friend? And now he barely acknowledges you in the hallway? <laughs> well, I mean, one's the president and one's, uh, you know, knockoff X-Files. <laughs> They've gone in different directions. I don't know. I don't know why that scene really struck me, but I was obsessed with this relationship. <laughs> All right. Should we move on to episode six? Let's do it. Here's the IMDb summary for Home. I'm the only one who knows the Earth is under bombardment by Dragon's forces. And all I can do about it is get to Maple Island and try to contact Ushadi, the forces loyal to my father. They're the only ones who can help. There were two obstacles. Police everywhere were looking for me, and I was starving. David Carter returns to Maple Island and contacts a Tyrusian ship which discovers the hidden base on the dark side of Earth's moon. Major Stark and Sergeant Romer catch up with David and find the underground chamber. I think of all of the episodes we've ever done on any show, I've taken the least notes for some reason. And I don't know if it's just because I watch these back to back, but there's just, there's so little to write notes about. I mean, the episodes are only 20 minutes long, so there's not much going on in the time span, but also these, this show in itself so little happens. Yeah, episode they're all episode. so perfunctory, all the episodes. This one uh, picks up again with David driving that space motorcycle he got, um, monologuing to himself about the two problems he has to face. One, being wanted by the police. And two, wanting a hamburger. <laughs> it's a cheeseburger. It's not a hamburger. It's a cheeseburger. No, you're right. How did you feel about the really badly rendered meteor shower at the beginning? Oh, I mean, I've gotten used to the, like juxtaposition of like the hand-drawn cell animation which is okay and the just like really rudimentary cg that like is it's so jarring yeah it really takes me out of it anytime it's on but i've just like gotten used to the fact that i've got to like go between these two whiplash extremes it just doesn't 
work i actually don't think the style of the show is that bad i don't think not the greatest animation ever but i thought it has its own style it's like you guys don't need to do floating planets stuff is all. just fine right yeah and the problem is the cg stuff they're doing they think it's their real climax material so like just like this episode the whole climax will be in the 3d animation that is just like just so little fun to look at yeah i agreed anyway uh how did you feel about how this scene where he stops for a hamburger i thought it was literally nothing well so like i mean i could do it real quick he goes up he orders a hamburger she's like do you want fries with that he goes yep he sees someone who might be looking for him i think it's another sheriff he goes outside and there's some street toughs that are on his bike for some reason and you think this is gonna be a scene and they're like we like your bike and he's like no it's my bike the one guy kind of starts getting aggressive he uses his glove to pick the guy up and take him off the bike and they're like whoa whoa calm down and he drives away i know right that's it it was five minutes and i kept waiting for it to escalate into something and it was just like nothing and he didn't get his burger he didn't get his burger i know but it's like but he also left with it without there's no reason there wasn't any indication that this guy knew him obviously he's being careful but it's like you can still get your hamburger you just talked about how you went out of your way and risked your life to get this cheeseburger at least pick it up <laughs> i don't ride motorbikes but i'm assuming you can eat a hamburger at the same time yeah hands-free i mean it's, <laughs> it's it like a, a video game he has two hands he can just tell the bike on the globe hey keep this steady while i eat a hamburger please That'd please nice. please yeah <laughs> uh anyway we also get to finally get into like some other tyrusian subplots here this is like another invasion plan they've had which is i blew my mind here i but, know it is is the gen biotics yeah, th- this new general taking over Nimoy, he goes to visit this place that, I guess they've been, they set this up 20 years ago. This other plan was set up 20 years ago. <laughs> and in this ineffectual invasion plan with like 85 different like concurrently happening plans, Genobiotics has been working with Tyrusians. Humans have been working with them to clone Tyrusian hybrid terrorists. Yeah. We'll get to this in a second, but Luke, let me just tell you. What's the big bad guy's name? Uh, the Garbit? Yeah, yeah, the Dragget. So if he... I don't want to tell him how to do his job as an invasion. But if at the same time he had the military suddenly take over and start attacking the population while he had meteors hitting the ground, while he had a bunch of these clones taking over things and terrorist activities, I think that's the disruption you're looking for. I, I think he needs to stop with plans you know j through Z. it's like you've done enough plans i'm telling you it's fear of success man he doesn't want to do it because he doesn't <laughs> want to actually win <laughs> i guess but we do find out something interesting about these test tube hybrid terrorists which is the weirdest thing ever um well i don't know if i wrote her name down but there's like a doctor who's been running this experiment which as i said she's been doing it for 20 years mm-hmm. and apparently not a single clone she has made has worked with the sole exception of 20 years ago when she impregnated herself with those two <laughs> dumb blonde hitmen that we've seen. Which is so funny. It's like, hey guys, I know you've been watching this and you wanted to have the back history of who these two blondes are. Well, guess what? They're the test two babies of this doctor. And I thought, hmm. That was what I couldn't tell because there's an indication that their test, the, the terrorists she's been trying to clone haven't been working, but that she did manage to have these two children these two half Tyrusian children that worked 20 years ago. And I was just like, is this a case where she gave just, she just did this to have babies? Well, 
what I thought was more interesting is they tell you that line. You're like, oh, weird. So they're her kid for some reason. And then the one, the guy, the one blonde guy at the end of the scene, he goes, thanks, mom. And he says it like a jerk. And I was like, are they angry at her for some reason? She's clearly raised them and now they're adults, but I don't know what they're angry about. They're angry that they are half Tyrusian. Yeah, it's unclear. The general basically is... He shows up to be mad at her for her failed experiment and tell her that if her two little bounty hunter kids don't track down David, he's going to kill them all. Well, well, I think it's more that he's going to cut funding. No one has been che- <laughs> no, no one has been checking for 20 years. She's just been putting in cost report after cost report and everything's fine. And then 20 years, he's like, what are you doing here? We have had zero success. And she's like, uh-uh. <laughs> The timeline of this show blows yeah. my mind every time they bring it up. 20 years. Yeah. But I like in the background, though, we should say in the background, it's all these gigantic tubes, like human-sized tubes, like you would assume in, as we've seen in TV movies, like clones. And they're sort of as like half-formed bodies in there. So she's she's clearly working. Like, I'm not saying she's had success, but it's not like she's just like screwing around. She's got a bunch of these terrorist pod hybrid clones. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She's been working. She's been doing her job. She's yeah. just not good at it. <laughs> Well, I don't know if she's not good at it. She's had she's had at least some success. I don't know why I'm defending this lady, but you're a big fan. I'm a big fan of her. Anyway, once again, David takes another break to call up that friend in Massachusetts to give him more vague hints about what he might do, i.e., go to Maple Island and visit that bunker he was in. I, I don't know why he has to give. Why that's the main thing? Because I'm assuming that Doc also had like a phone. I'm realizing the reason they are doing these calls and all like there's just like these perfunctory calls that don't advance the plot don't help david's cause and nothing's happening i realize at this point because after seeing two scenes in a row they're there so that that major stark character can listen in on them and allows that character to figure out what david's up to right but there's no like but they don't exist for any reason that makes sense in like the world of the show they literally are just doing them so that like major stark can like stay in the plot but also at one point did they know to tap old archie's phone uh, it's because they met him one time at the like imploded house i guess i it's it is just like a device so that that character can stay in the show yeah anyway he calls his friend again nothing really comes from yeah. it well that's it he just implies he's going to go to maple island so now stark knows to go to maple island david gets back on the road and uh this is where he's immediately caught by some highway patrol people uh scanning for speeders and so they as another high-speed chase and the only thing i think that's notable about this is it's the same scene you saw earlier in the show he's getting chased by police but there you know more and more cop cars come and they sort of make a barricade but then at the very end of it he just ets over them it's the exact scene from et except instead of uh, on a bicycle he's on a motorbike Yes, well, it turns out if you ask the motorcycle nicely, it will fly for you. Why wouldn't you just fly? That's way better than uh, than than riding. Also, are these the exact bikes that we saw from a Galactical 1980? Well, here's something I wanted to bring up because I realized watching this, it's classic. We've seen it a million times now. Highway patrol guys picking up a speeder, but that speeder has some sort of like superpower. So he loses them in an embarrassing way of some sort. Yeah, we did see it in what's it called? Too? Remember uh, Gemini Man we did that? That's a Harv Bennett. Oh, you're right. Oh, man, I forgot. (laughs) I realized watching this, I'm like, this is is like what Harv Bennett falls back on is a highway patrol chase. Yeah, that's funny. I forgot. And it makes sense because his heyday would have been that like 70s, 80s period. And I think Smokey and the Bandit sort of thing. In all of those series. So it's just very funny. I realized I'm like, oh, this is just a holdover from how he made TV shows. That's funny. But the important thing is David now knows the bike can fly if he asks it to. 
and he gets away so he can uh, get to the water. He now gets to the water and he's like, how do I get to this island? I haven't thought about it. But what can the bike also do? You're wrong, Jordan. Because Why am I? not figure that out. Because before he, he knows the bike can fly, but he still can't figure out how he's going to get to Maple Island. So he stops randomly at a coastal town to steal oh, a boat. Oh, that's right. You're right. You're right. He's like, I'm going to steal a boat from this coastal town to get to the island. But while he's there, a meteorite hits its lighthouse? Yeah. And then, like, there's, like, this huge, like, typhoon of water and stuff. I was like, all right. An explosion and chaos. And David just, like, gets back on the motorcycle and leaves the town to destruction. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was weird because nothing happened there. That's why I don't even have anything in my notes. Nothing happened. Yeah. He stops in a town. It gets destroyed. He tries to steal a boat. Someone catches him. So he runs away. And then he just gets back on the motorcycle. And when he gets to the water where maple island is he's just like oh why don't i just fly my motorcycle over it well he like hovercrafts it over yeah but it's just just another like this this these two episodes are full of scenes that like don't do anything um there's a scene i think it's coming up though where we get to see i think it's the dragget and uh villains and they're in their spaceship and they're uh they're talking about their plans we don't actually get to see because it's in their weird language but they look at their plans and then they just start laughing as villains do in these like ah, ha, ha, and they cackle about it. And I thought it's much better to be a villain because these guys are having a way better time. David's never having any levity. He's not laughing. He's not having a good time. These guys love their job. They see their plan and they just laugh like he's an old Skeletor. He's just laughing it up. And I thought I'd rather be that guy. Well, I he mean, likes his job, you know, dragons have more fun. <laughs> it's true. You have that tattoo on your butt. That's right, on my butt. On your butt. Just back to the plot. David gets that stupid island. (laughs) Stupid island. I don't know why, but that cottage that used to be there has been just removed. Like, someone has come in and removed it from the island completely. There's no remnants of it. And Because in this episode, I think more than the others, the VO is kind of doing a bit of heavy lifting, but also not really. But at this point, over voiceover, he's like, well, someone cleared the whole signs of the battle and the cottage and everything else and i was like but what why because if they were doing that they would know the secret layers there yeah i mean he just finds the secret layer like porthole heads down to the old alien battle base it's great he goes through a trunk of old family heirlooms his mom left down there yeah and i don't know why that's there but it's there well he had to find the most important family heirloom jordan what was it a sticker that says rock hounds have more fun <laughs> That's right. That's on your other butt cheek. <laughs> I was blown away that they brought that sticker back. Like, he pulls out a backpack with that sticker on it, and he looks at it, he's just like, Oh, Mom, quote, you used to be a desert rat. <laughs> yeah, she did. I am no closer to knowing what a rock hound is, because if a rock hound is a desert rat, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm hoping, because we're not going to look it up either, you or I. I'm hoping someone listening to this is a rock hound. Or uh, what are they? A dusty rat? What are they called? Desert rat? A desert rat. <laughs> I can't remember from 10 seconds ago. I hope someone who's really into that lifestyle will like let us know an email and say, hey, don't make fun of uh, us, us dirt rats. We're, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and let me explain why we're important. We love rocks. <laughs> um, while he's down there, though, of course, the crystal ball phone rings. And uh, it's, a, it's a quick call from a ship of rebels or... As I came to understand this episode, the Ashati, those are the rebels who are opposing the Dragot. That's right. I had heard it originally said by the Dragot in that one episode, and I thought it was uh, him swearing, Oshati. 
No, no, but that's that's what was in the the poem. That was what the poem exactly. was about. Yeah. Now I understand the poem. Now I understand it all. It is actually just a group of rebels opposing yeah. the dragon. Yeah. Well, you you know where it's going. Like clearly, he's going to go join these rebels at some point. But it's just like, guys, we're already six episodes in. Well, I loved it too because these people call up and he starts talking to them, and they a all have the craziest haircuts. <laughs> well, they're like uh, they're like the rebels of society. They don't uh, subscribe to your normal haircuts. Yeah, they're very punk rock mm-hmm. and. When they're on the phone with David, they don't speak one word of English. They're speaking the uh, the uh, Tri-Russian language the entire time. And finally, David's like, hey, guys, speak English already. Yeah, and then one person's like, oh, yeah, okay, I can speak English. So weird. I'm like, who did they think they were calling? Yeah. Because they don't even really seem to know. But David essentially tells him, he's like, hey, can you do me a favor and go fly around the moon and look for this meteor launcher that's smashing Earth up right now? And... This is where we just get, like, an extended scene of this, like, 3D animation where the ship just flies around the moon, finds the installation. They, like, hit it once or twice with their missiles, but then they also get shot out of the air, and, like, all of these characters die. You mentioned it before. There's a high body count to the show. The problem, though, is there's no weight to any of the deaths because you haven't learned or met or cared about these people at all they just keep introducing new characters and they go now we've killed them it's like but okay like it's it's just so odd that you have this fodder for nothing i didn't understand if they had destroyed the like the way it was done like i'm like i guess the moon base is destroyed but like i it managed to shoot you out of the sky so is it like i just couldn't even tell if they were successful in their mission i think the point is don't worry about the meteors anymore that's being taken care of so that subplot is done as we go into whatever the new the new attack will be. And these these Ashadis they introduce, I was like, okay, finally he's gonna like meet a team of people and we're gonna meet a new cast of characters. Cause it looked like they put a lot of like thought into the like design. character design of those mm-hmm. characters. So I'm like, okay, this is definitely gonna be the people he hooks up with. Dead. Dead in 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. But David's now stuck in his uh, uh command center. His bunker. Mm-hmm. Old Major Stark shows up with uh Romer. And uh, they've found also, they immediately find this like sewer hole into the base. Yeah. And we end on sort of a standoff where they're like, David, come on out. And he's down in the in the bunker with a laser gun being like, come get me. Real cliffhanger. Yeah. Will he shoot these two other characters? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't have any real final notes on these two episodes. I think we've covered everything that needs to be covered. I think so. Let's get right into the ratings. Let's do it. Jordan, what do you want to give the first episode renewal? Also, what does that title mean? <laughs> I don't even know anymore. Like, uh, the thing about the show is, like, it's not that it's bad. It's just it's so stretched out and the episodes become so perfunctory. Like, you have five minutes of content stretched to 20 minutes, which isn't so bad. It's just that it's every episode and so they just feel like they're hitting the same beats and nothing's really happening but it's not like it's it's not like it's a bad time watching it. it's perfectly fine it's just that there's nothing tremendously interesting about it so i guess like a four four which is uh, like i don't know am i being too nice or am i being too mean i don't even know i mean i that whole episode where he's wandering through the desert meets blue and the Ma- blue the mangler and doc and like truly you could cut that entire thing out with like next to no loss. I, I'm going to give it a two just because I'm like, I don't think anything happened. And 
I don't even know what I'm giving it to for. I guess it I guess it held my attention for five minutes. <laughs> Before we even get to the rating, did you like the next episode better than the last one? I'm I'm gonna give it a slightly better mark. I maybe give it a three, but only because I was laughing nonstop at the like twenty year long plan to build Tyrusian <laughs> terrorist clones that hasn't worked. I, and and it is just because the more I just want this show to have like more and more plans the Dragot has going. Like I'm just becoming obsessed with this idea that the Dragot doesn't like just ha- like I just I, I'm obsessed with this idea, but this has been happening for fifty years, and he clearly has more than enough stuff to take over earth but he just won't pull the trigger do you think though it's odd that he only wanted those test tube hybrids to be terrorist like you think they'd have had a couple just be why not build an army yeah well yeah exactly like oh well these ones are going to be troopers and these ones are going to act like this and these are going to be that but it's like no no they're all going to be terrorists i had i had major questions i wanted to know way more about like what what is the plan there you guys are going to like what what kind of terrorizing are you going to do? I don't understand. Is it harder to make a terrorist actually like physically make him or just convert someone? Yeah, just fly some people in. You've been flying them in from Tyrusha this whole time. Why do you need to clone them? Anyway, uh, I'm I'm just gonna I'm also gonna give it a three, not because I think it's a worse episode, but just because. Yeah, I mean, I don't know because. Oh yeah. I actually remember why I'm giving the other one a two. I'm giving it a two uh, because that line where he's just like, hey, didn't you go to high school with the president? <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point, we are now six episodes in. Is it time to look at the escape pod? It is, Jordan. Now is the time we typically fire up the old computer and see if this show is surviving in the ratings department and whether we can escape pod. Did you put on your space underwear? Why? Why must we put on the space underwear? Why don't we buy something that doesn't make us have to wear space underwear? <laughs> we can't. It has. To, it's just the way it is. And unfortunately, Luke, there's only one pair left, so we have two options. <laughs> Good lord, we have to share them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, we have to share them. While you're punching into the computer, years ago in the in the '80s, a friend of and friend of mine, uh, there used to be a old store. It was just like gag toys and stuff. And uh, there was a pair of underwear, like a huge, large pair of underwear in this gag store. And they were called Fundies, underwear for two. And me and him thought it was the funniest thing ever. And we were desperate to buy it, but we didn't have any money because we thought it'd be so funny to put that pair of underwear on and come to school wearing the same (laughs) pair of underwear. And like, honestly, it was hours of laughter of like, can you believe what will the teachers say? And I I don't think it would have been that funny. I mean, you would have overestimated it for sure. I think so. Anyways, fundies. If anyone has a pair of fundies, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All right, Jordan. I punched in the numbers of the continuum break computer. Yeah. And uh, our series average going into the uh, third of our podcast on this, ending these third podcast, is coming out at 3.92. Ooh, that's got to be one of our lowest scores. I mean, it's definitely not uh, not doing very well. So that means we're climbing the escape pod. Next week, we're going to uh, come back, do one final episode. We're going to go right to the end of this series. Jordan, are we going to be able to follow all the plot lines we've missed in this well, serialized show? I feel a little bad for you because I think you're going to miss about four different uh, attacks of the dragon that we'll just never see. But um, I have, I'm assuming we can jump right into the end and not have really missed much. 
here is my assumption. I assume when we get to the end, we'll obviously get the climax. He'll defeat the dragon. I bet you somehow Doc and Blue have come back. Do you think we'll have left Earth? No. Hmm. I think we'll still be on Earth. I think there's a 50-50 shot uh, that Generals or that uh, Major Stark is dead already. <laughs> <laughs> well, until then. What will the exciting conclusion be? Yeah, who knows? All right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. Join us next week when we come back for one last one. You can email us at continuedrag at gmail.com if you heavily object to us getting out of this thing early. <laughs> no one's going to. No one cares. They're too busy writing emails about fundies. Yeah, they're uh, all the fundy uh, storage they've got going on. It's all getting sent to you. The fundy fanatics. We'll have some clips from the show on Instagram and Twitter as per usual. The handle there is at continuumdrag. And that wraps it up. So, uh, listener, thanks for joining us. And Jordan, see you next week. Yosh. Remember Yosh? <laughs> Remember Yosh? <laughs> Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Humes.